Our New Testament reading uh, this morning closely relates to our text from the Lord's Prayer. It's from Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came up to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. It's worth pausing here and translating that into, you know, modern-day currency. We're talking billions of dollars here. 10,000 talents was a lot of money. And since he could not pay, because, you know, billions of dollars, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And in order to translate that again, we're talking not nothing, but a few thousand dollars, maybe 20,000, somewhere in there. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Will you pray with me one more time? Lord God, Lord, as we come now reading your word, as we come now to hear your word preached, I pray that you would reach out to our hearts with it. Lord, you tell us that your word will not return void, That like as the rain goes from heaven and waters the ground and causes flowers and fruit to spring up from it, Lord, so your word as it goes out will create fruit. Lord, it creates faith in our hearts as it's read and as it's preached. So I pray that you would be with us as your word is preached. Cause us to be attentive Lord, Lord, I pray that if there's anything that I say that's not in your word this morning, 
that you would remove it from the hearts and the minds of those gathered here. If there's anything I neglect to say that I should have said, Lord, I pray that you would impress it on the hearts of those gathered anyway. Use your word this morning as it goes forth. Convict us, strengthen us, encourage us. May your Holy Spirit be at work among us this morning. In Christ's name, because of his death and his resurrection, we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, once again, we are in the Lord's Prayer for the fourth out of, fifth, fourth out of five weeks. Uh, the previous few weeks, uh, the first week we looked at the phrase, Our Heavenly Father, right? Our Father who is in heaven. And we looked at sort of the juxtaposition between God as heavenly king and God as our Father. He is the one to whom we pray. We do not pray to someone who is powerless. We do not pray to someone who does not love us, but we pray to an almighty, sovereign Father. We pray for God's kingdom to come, right? We are aware that the world is broken and needs to be fixed. And so we pray that God would be at work in this world, both through our actions as a church, right? We are a little pocket of the new creation that's coming, and also that God will one day and finally bring his kingdom to the world. You know, as, the, uh, as John, the revelator in the book of Revelation, sees the new Jerusalem descending down out of heaven, God's rule come down. That is what we pray for, for God to interpose his kingdom on this wicked and rebelling world. Last week, we looked at something much more practical, much more daily, much more normal and boring, if you will. We, we looked at God providing for our daily bread. You know, we looked at just as the, the Israelites were fed manna in the wilderness, and they had to go out and, and pick it up every single day and have faith that God would continue to provide for their needs. So we come to God every day praying that he will give us, yes, enough food for the next day, but also the emotional strength that we need the physical strength that we need, the spiritual strength that we need. We are reliant on our Heavenly Father, just as a young child who crawls on his or her father's lap and says, Dada, is reliant on their Father, so we rely on our Heavenly Father. We have two weeks left in the Lord's Prayer. We're going to look at the petition, forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. We're going to look at that today. Next week, we're going to look at, oh my goodness, I forgot what comes next. Oh yeah, lead us not into temptation. I should know this, you know, being a pastor and whatnot. You know, we're going to, next week, we're going to look at um, you know, the, the petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But this morning, I want to look at just the phrase, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It turns out that's actually a very dangerous thing to pray. But first, the acknowledgement that we owe a debt. Some of you may, may know that depending on your religious tradition, depending on the different, you know, different churches, local and you know, global, you can walk into another church on a Sunday morning and pray the Lord's Prayer, and it's different at this point, right? 
Other churches say, say what instead of debts? Trespasses. Now, are we, you know, the Presbyterians who are right and everyone else is wrong? No. There's actually two versions of the Lord's Prayer in the Bible. One is in Matthew, one is in Luke, and they disagree a little bit. One, you know, in Luke it says, trespasses, forgive us our trespasses. In Matthew it says, forgive us our debts. Now, is that a contradiction in the Bible? No. Here's why. Because Jesus, as he was teaching his disciples to pray the Lord's Prayer, was teaching them in the common everyday language called Aramaic. The Bible is written in more of the international trade and business language, Greek. And so Matthew and Luke both had to translate from Aramaic the Lord's Prayer, and both chose to translate those words just a little bit different. So you get a little bit, you know, slight differences here. The bulk of it's the same, but they're just translating and using different words. Luke uses a word more similar to trespasses, and Matthew uses a word more similar to debts. And I think looking at both of those words, we can get an idea of what's going on, what it is that we owe God. You may be familiar, and I, I know I've talked with some of you, and I haven't brought this up, some of you have brought this up, so I, I know it's generally familiar, with sins of omission and sins of commission. This is something that's familiar to you? If that doesn't, you know, if that language doesn't make sense, let's say it this way. There are things that we have left undone and things that we have done. There are sins that we commit, sins that we do, sins of commission, and sins that we omit. We leave things undone. Most of the time when we think about sins, you know, in the, the broader cultural quasi-spiritual context of, you know, the Western civilization that we live in, most people think sin is, oh, I did a bad thing. And most people's list of sins is pretty short. You may have, you know, if you ever talk to someone about this, you'll, you'll find this out. You know, I've never done anything wrong. I haven't killed anyone. I haven't, you know, cheated on my spouse. I haven't beat someone up, and that's about it. And I haven't done one of those three things. Therefore, I must be a good person and assured of heaven when I die. Setting aside the fact that the list of sins that we can commit is longer than that, there's an entire other category that we conveniently forget about. We have moral obligations to God and to each other that just by sitting at home on our couches, we may be sinning if we are leaving those things undone. Sin is not just things that we commit. It's not just things that we do. It's also things that we fail to do. We are required to love God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our minds. This includes gathering together on Sunday mornings in order to worship God. And obviously all of us here this morning have done very, very well at that. It includes having practices throughout the week to, to encourage the love of God in your hearts. Prayer, Bible reading, discussions with fellow Christians about your spirituality, and how, how things are going in your own spiritual lives. There are these practices that we use to cultivate a love for God. We are required to love God. It's an action that we must take. 
We are required to love our neighbors as ourselves. Right? And, we, and we may think that, oh, as long as I'm not, you know, like cutting down my neighbor's fence or, you know, doing, you know, making loud noises at night, then, then I'm, you know, loving my neighbor as I should. But no, loving your neighbor is an active thing. It may require going over and knocking on their door and seeing how they're doing. Both these commands, to love God and to love our neighbor, are things that require active action on our part, and to leave them undone is to commit a sin of omission. It's to leave something undone. It is a moral debt. So there are trespasses. There are things that we do. There are debts. There are things that we leave undone. And sort of both are in view here. But the idea, when we pray, God, forgive us our debts, we are aware that we have a moral obligation. And that is a record of debt that is outstanding against us. Because as the scriptures say, none of us is righteous. No matter how righteous or how good we may think that we are. We all have a moral debt to pay. We're familiar with records of debt. You get a credit card bill in the mail every month that says, hey, you owe this much from your credit card bill for the last month. You have to pay this. You have perhaps a statement on your car loan or on your house loan, on your mortgage. We're familiar with records of debt that are outstanding. Say, hey, you owe this much money. This, you know, you have to pay this off until you are free from that debt. In the same way, we have a moral debt that is outstanding against us. And it's a debt that we can never pay. It's worth, it's worth noting here that um, death, death, Debt is one facet of how our sin affects our relationship with God. When I was preparing this, I was originally going to use the word metaphor to describe it, but debt is not a metaphor. You know, we actually truly owe a debt to God that we cannot pay, but there, it's a facet. There are other facets that show up in the Bible. One is a familial one, right? The prodigal son coming home. You know, and, and restoring and being reconciled with, with his father. Another facet, another picture would be, you know, us being slaves to sin. Sin itself as being sort of a, a, a bond master over us, keeping us in bondage, and we need to be freed from our sins. There's different pictures that the Bible uses, all real, but different pictures nonetheless. Debt is just one picture. So there's other pictures that we can appeal to, other pictures that we can use. That is just one. But we do, indeed, owe a great moral debt to God. And our debt can be forgiven. In the story I read earlier, the story that Jesus told from Matthew 18, it closely parallels this line of the Lord's Prayer in a way that I think is intentional. But it opens with a man who owes the king a great debt. 
10,000 talents. And I mentioned, you know, if we're going to calculate it, it's probably going to be around a billion dollars, you know, maybe several billion dollars. The point is not necessarily to calculate out, oh, it's, you know, this much money. The point is that it's unpayable. The man who owes this debt in the story says, hey, don't, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to pay you back. You don't have to sell me into debt slavery, which was a common thing during that time, right? If you owed someone if you owed someone a debt, you could be sold into slavery for a period of time until that debt was paid off. It's very different than the slavery that existed in the United States for hundreds of years. But this man was going to be sold into debt slavery essentially for, you know, his entire life. There's no way he could actually work this off. There's no way he could actually earn enough money in order to pay off this debt. It's immeasurable. But this man has his debt forgiven. Imagine that with me. I don't know if you've ever had a debt forgiven. Perhaps you've paid down a debt that you owe. I remember the feeling that I had when I paid off my first car loan. You know, I had a, it was a 97 Buick LeSabre. I bought it for $2,600 served me for like six years. Uh, you know, I more than got my money out of that thing. Uh, great engine, and it was a 3,800 if you know cars, but anyway. And I remember, it, it, was a, it was a small amount, but you know, I was just getting started working a full-time job, and I took out a loan, and I paid it off relatively quickly. But when I wrote the last check in order to pay off the loan, there's, there's a relief you feel. And perhaps you felt that relief when you've paid off a debt, when you've paid off the last of your student loans, when you've paid off the last payment on a car, when you've paid off your house. There's a relief there, a weight that rolls off your back. Your debt's been paid. It's done. You don't have to worry about it anymore. Now imagine that feeling, but with an unpayable debt. I don't know how this man accumulated a billion dollars worth of debt. I, I, I don't know. But however he did it, you know, maybe he was, you know, he had this one thing going and that went poorly and he said, oh, maybe if I make this investment over here and it was a bad investment and, and the money kept on tumbling down and down and down and eventually he finds out that he can't pay it. And the king comes to him and says, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to deal with you pretty harshly on this because that's a serious debt. And the man begs for forgiveness. And the king just grants it. He says, okay, I'm going to have mercy on you. You can't pay back this debt. You're done. It's just gone. Free and clear. Imagine the weight that rolls off his back. People of God, we have had an unpayable debt forgiven. We owe a moral obligation that try as we might, we cannot pay. But that's why Jesus died for us. The book of Colossians, chapter 2, talks about how when Christ died, the record of debt that stood against us was nailed to the cross. When Jesus shouted, it is finished, he wasn't just saying a phrase. He was, he was using really a financial word to tell us die. It has been paid in full. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, our moral debt can be forgiven. The debt that we can never pay 
is forgiven because of Jesus Christ. It's wiped away. And this is not a debt like perhaps, you know, if you have a bunch of credit card, um, you know, a bunch of credit cards with, you know, large balances. This is not, you know, one of those things where they say, hey, you know, if you can just pay down half of it or a third of it, you know, we're just going to take what we can get. This is not that. We do not have to pay down part of our debt. It's simply forgiven. We are forgiven because of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. We are forgiven an impayable, immeasurable debt. The record of debt that stood against us is nailed to the cross along with Jesus. But we don't just pray, forgive us our debts. We pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And this is where it starts to get a little bit dangerous. I mentioned that at the beginning. It's important to note that we don't earn our forgiveness by the forgiveness of others. The the phrase is not forgive us our debts because we have forgiven others their debts. You know, in the story that that Jesus told, the parable of the man who owed, you know, billions of dollars, this unpayable debt, he is not forgiven because he's been generous in all of his other dealings. That's, That's not it. But we, as the people of God, who understand forgiveness, show the forgiveness of God to other people. And if, if, we are the kind of people who don't forgive very well, then it might, be, it might be an indication that we don't understand the nature of radical forgiveness because we've never been forgiven ourselves. This is a warning sign. Now, I don't mean that if you are a Christian, you're going to forgive everyone flawlessly and easily. I don't mean that at all. It can be difficult to forgive people. I think we've all experienced that. But if you're the kind of person who always holds on to grudges, who keeps this this mental list of the people who have harmed you, who holds grudges, who allows roots of bitterness to grow in their hearts, then maybe you haven't been forgiven yourself. If we have experienced God's radical, incredible forgiveness, then we ought to show that forgiveness to other people. It's as we we taught a couple weeks ago, the, the phrase, thy kingdom come. One day, you know, our forgiveness will be made official, the judgment seat of Christ. And on that day, we will be forgiven. It will be stamped, paid in full on our accounts because of what Jesus Christ has done. And that future reality seeps into this world through the actions of Christ's church today. One way the kingdom comes is that we, having experienced forgiveness, having the promise that our sins will be forgiven at that judgment seat, One of the ways the kingdom seeps into this world is by our forgiveness of others. 
After all, we, have, we are a people who have experienced that radical forgiveness. And this is, this is where it gets dangerous, right here. We pray for God to forgive as we forgive. So what happens if we don't forgive? You know, if we are the kind of people who always, our, our forgiveness is always, you know, followed by a but. Well, I'm going to forgive you, but I'm not going to forget about it. I'm always going to hold it. You know, hold the memory of it. Well, I would forgive them, but you don't know what they did to me. If we are to pray, forgive us as we forgive others, if our forgiveness of other people is always conditional or not even there at all, then we are praying for God to forgive us with buts, to forgive us conditionally. But the reality is that we need God's radical, incredible forgiveness, not with any strings attached, not harboring on to a little, holding on to a little bit of something in our hearts, but truly seeking to forgive other people completely as we have been forgiven in Christ. I want to conclude with this thought, if we can. Many, many of us have been, have been wounded grievously by other people. I don't want to, I don't want to downplay that. I want to, I want to recognize that. There are people who have hurt us physically, emotionally, spiritually, perhaps, who have done us great wrong. And the temptation is, if we have been wounded, to always hold back on a little bit of that forgiveness because of their great sin. But the reality is, that however much you have been wounded, and it may be a great amount, your sin against God is greater. In this parable that Jesus tells, you know, the man whose you know, billion-dollar debt's been forgiven goes out and finds a man who owes him it's 5,000 denarii, probably around $20,000, somewhere, somewhere in there. You know, not nothing, but, you know, it, compared to a billion dollars, it's, it's nothing, right? And I don't know if this guy thought that he was going to try to, you know, pay off the debt by, you know, adding up $5,000, you know, dollars here and $5,000 there. That's sort of like trying to pay off a million-dollar debt by, you know, finding a dime on the, on the ground. It's just, you know, great, but it's not going to help. So this guy goes out, having experienced radical forgiveness, and he goes out and he shakes down this guy who owes him next to nothing comparatively, and I think this teaches us that our sin against God has been forgiven in a greater way than any, anything anyone has, has done to us. We may have been wounded grievously, but we have rebelled against God more. And if we have been forgiven of our sins against an almighty God, if we, who have a record or had a record of debt against us that we could not pay, if we have truly experienced that forgiveness, 
then we ought to seek as the people of God to forgive others. To hand over their offenses against us to God. To give up our own rights to vengeance just to say, yes, I was sinned against. I don't mean, you know, to, to not put up boundaries, right? If you're, you know, for example, if you're being abused, by all means, find, you know, a safe place to get away from that abuse. I'm not saying, you know, forgiveness is not necessarily the same as staying. But forgiveness is handing them over to God. Saying, I, I give up my rights of vengeance, my, my claim to having anything over them, God's going to handle it as he sees fit, and I'm going to trust him to do it. That is forgiveness. And if we have truly experienced radical forgiveness, then we can show that radical forgiveness to others. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's going to come quickly. But as we pray, Lord, forgive us our debts, we are reminded that we are asking to be forgiven in the same way that we forgive so as we, as we desire to be forgiven immeasurably, let us forgive graciously and freely as Christ offers forgiveness to us.